0: What's going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back today's episode is gonna be brought to you by mystery ranch built for the mission and if you haven't been rocking a mystery ranch fire line pack well that sucks yeah the mystery ranch Fireline series is founded basically off the back of the professional workforce whose primary duties are the suppression and management of wildland fires hence that is you and why do they kick ass why do you kick ass well cuz y'all work together yeah literally Mystery Ranch could not exist. At least their Fireline uh, packs could not exist unless it was from feedback directly from you folks on the on the ground there. Yeah. So why do they do this? Well, simple. It's because they give a shit and they give a shit so much that they are giving away thousand dollar scholarships to help improve your professional career. (gasps) Oh, how's this? You might ask. Well, it's easy. If you heard of the Backbone series, which if you uh, have ever listened to the show, I'm pretty sure you've heard of the Backbone series. Yeah. So if you're telling the story of uh, Wildland Fire and also doing it to, uh, well, potentially get one of these thousand uh, dollar Mystery Ranch Backbone series scholarships to advance your career. Well, now's your chance because TikTok yeah, deadline is May 31st, 2023. So, hurry up and get those submissions in. You can go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the backbone series where you can find all of the uh little tips and tricks and things to do to submit your story and enter to win one of these professional development scholarships. So, once again, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the backbone series. It's awesome. The Anchor Point podcast is also going to be brought to you by our friends over at Hotshot Brewing, it's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighting Foundation. Yeah, they're pretty cool. They make some pretty decent coffee, too. And Like me, I can't do this stuff unless I'm overly caffeinated. So, thanks, buddy. Thanks, Hotshot Brewery. Appreciate ya. But if you uh, are looking for anything else besides the kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, well, they have a full line of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right and a full line of wildland firefighter themed apparel so if you want to find out more go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out yeah and you can even score some of uh the anchor point merch if you're so happy to be looking for some so if you want to score one of those band of brothers tees or one of the fire fiend tees yeah just go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out The Anchor Point Podcast. I'd also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at The Ass Movement. And if you don't know what that is, well, it's an acronym and it's a hilarious acronym. It stands for the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. And it is all for a good cause. It is (laughs) <laughs> it is propaganda of poo burying, and it is the finest propaganda indeed. So I don't know about y'all out there, but I absolutely hate the thought of a surface turd, whether I'm coming up to uh, my favorite chucker hunting place or my favorite fly fishing hole and seeing a human turd gift wrapped in toilet paper and just haphazardly placed on the surface. It's like, come on guys, really? Do, do we not learn how to bury our turds? So if you want to help, uh, spread the good word about bearing your turds. Well, you can go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement where you can get all of your poo bearing propaganda needs fulfilled. And check this out. You can get to save uh, 10% off your entire order site wide by using the code anchorpointass10 at checkout. So once again, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point podcast is going to be, well, not sponsored by, but supported by, no, not even supported by. Um, how do we present this? Well, I'm a huge supporter of theirs, and I believe in what they're doing. Now, I, they don't pay me for doing these ads. I just believe in their cause. So, one, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. You may may possibly know them as the Smoky Generation what do they do? Well, it is a catalog of wildland firefighting stories dating all the way back to the 1940s. It's like a a digital history lesson from our peers in the field and some of those legendary figures that we call superintendents, hotshots and operators, our peers, all of that stuff. It's all located there at the wildfire experience, the American wildfire experience, or the smoky generation. They're all linked to each other. So so go over there, check it out, and while you're at it, check out the Smoky Generation Grant Program that they are doing because it is awesome. They're giving away $500 grants to those folks that are telling the story of Wildland Fire. Now, time is limited on this one too, so TikTok pitter patter, get at her. Anyways, Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization out there. Keep it up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. I hope everybody's doing well. It uh, looks like Canada is getting their ass kicked in. Yeah, it's like wholesale ass kicking up there. I hope everybody's doing all right. and hope uh, that our Canadian counterparts are keeping a head on in the swivel and staying safe up there. But Jesus, man, especially with the, yeah, the Fort McMurray fire kind of like on everybody's mind still. Just, ugh, dude, raw deal. Raw deal indeed. But anyways, hope everybody's gearing up for the season. I hope everybody's uh, ready to rock and roll. But today on the episode, we're going to, well, we're going to do a little bit of a tell-all, a crew tell-all from the uh, Nevada Bureau of Land Management crews. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. we got a lot of uh, awesome topics. We're going to be doing some demystification of the crew life, of course. We're going to talk about the old school versus the new and some of the changes in operations and mindset and shit we even talk about uh, the, uh, professionalism, uh, development of a professional workforce. And quite frankly, we came to the conclusion that it's already there. It's already professional. Don't fix it. If it's not broken, we're also talking about social media, the difference between, uh, clout chasing versus utility on the old social medias and a litany of other topics like chasing has hazard time and overtime. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. This is a good one. I think everybody's going to get a real good insight as to how crews operate and what they're all about. So with that being said, I would like to introduce some of my good friends, all from the Nevada Bureau of Land Management crews organization to say that out loud. It's not really an organization, but it's all the crews pretty much representative of uh, across the state of Nevada. These are folks that I've worked with and uh, had the pleasure of working with in the, plat- in the past and they are some awesome folks. So, with that being said, I would like to introduce my good friends, Justin Zabala. He is the former assistant soup of Ruby Mountain Hotshots and now the superintendent. We've got Chris Burlington. He is the former Lone Peak IHC superintendent and now he is the fire operations coordinator for the state office here in Nevada for the Bureau of Land Management. We also got Chase Manus, and he is the former Midnight Sun superintendent and Ruby Mountain Uh, Hot Shots superintendent, but now he is the Eastern Nevada agency BIA FMO. And then last but not least, we've got JP Blair. He is going to be the superintendent of Vegas Valley Veterans Crew. Those guys are awesome. have a lot of history with those folks and they are a fine crew indeed. So I hope everybody enjoys this episode and I hope that it kind of demystifies the crew life and well, you know what to do next. Welcome to the Anchor Points. (laughs) all right ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of the anchor point podcast today on the show i've got some representation from the blm state of nevada crews like we got a pretty good like mix of every crew like in the room here this is pretty cool man so uh yeah what's new in the world of crews
1: i think i think right now i mean i know in the in the blm it's like working on structuring the, the the crew organizations to to kind of fit the needs and kind of promote um upward movement, promote retention. Um, I know on BLM Nevada, the crews um we got approval kind of running the one, two, three uh organization. So one hot shot soup, two assistants, and three squad leaders, and kind of the intent, you know, moving forward. It's like if if some of those upper level overhead on the crew, it's like want to take a roll off or something, the crew will still meet you know, still be fully structured and able to operate at a high level versus, you know, having to adjust how you operate if say the soup's gone or one of the assistants is, or the assistant's gone. So a
0: lot more flexibility built into the programs,
1: a lot more flexibility. And then also working on increasing the amount of, of career employees, um, not PFT employees, career seasonal employees. Yeah. We don't want any more, uh, PFTs.
0: Yeah. You say PFTs and a lot of people cringe, you know, it's like, people don't want to, especially on crews, right? Hotshot crews, hand crews, type two, IA crews, all that stuff. Right. People don't want to fucking work all year round. They don't want a 26 and 0. I mean, not a lot of them do. I mean, they're probably burnt out by the time they like get done with their ass kicker of a season, especially like a 1200 hour season. Right.
1: That's just my opinion. And I think there's like some, some differing opinions on professionalizing the workforce because I feel like there's a group of people that think making people, 12 month PFT employees is professionalizing the workforce. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think the hotshot crews are, are super professional as it is Oh, hundred percent. And I mean, there's even talk of having all the crews, you know, be in career positions, even if they are career seasonal positions. Um, But I think there's always going to be room for that temporary workforce. Cause like looking back um, through the crews that I've run, it's like some of the hardest hitting hotshots were those seasonals, you know, they might only be on the crew for three or four seasons, but they, you know, show up, throw down for four, four and a half months and then go off, you know, travel the world or live in the forest, go and to school, eat whatever. squirrels. I don't know what they do, but yeah, you know that, I mean? that,
2: that fresh blood just keeps the, uh, the status quo away. And it, it breeds competition, which keeps the crew operating at a high level. I, I left, uh, the forest service over in California because there was too many PFTs, uh, being a captain there was terrible. Um, Being a squad leader there would probably be even worse just due to the fact that you are the day-to-day work leader that has to find work for those guys. And when Overhead sees 20-plus people on the books every day, they want to send them somewhere. And unfortunately, that's hard work. Stacking sticks and shit. Stacking sticks, burning for, you know, we were doing, uh, we'd go down on Monday and come home on Friday, but we'd go burn for five days and be gone from the family or, you know, so... That's how I ended up in Nevada was PFTs. Yeah.
1: I actually, I got a phone call from a GS3 PFT from one of the California crews. Wait, GS3 a full-time permanent? Yeah.
2: G- GS3 PFT. Straight off the street, they'll hire you. Holy shit. No experience. And he, oh he was miserable
1: because they were just covered in snow and there was no work he could actually do. And he was a skier and was just dreaming about skiing. Just so looking I, up at the I hill. actually think he ended up working for Silver State, honestly. I think Silver State picked him up. So he got out of that scene. You you keep making PFTs, too many people PFTs, you know, that's, I feel like that's going to be the trend. They're going to filter
2: to the less year round. And they, they still go away. These guys, they, a bunch of these guys got duped without getting into the weeds, but you don't know what you're getting into right off the bat. So oh, fuck no when a don't. forest FMO for or a, uh, you know, some hiring official calls you and he says, and they started at the top. So they were doing 26 and 0, then they bumped it down to 18 and eight and then 13 and 13, but you had to ask about it. Yeah. So they would call you and it's ask like you if fun. you wanted a career job. You go, of course. And then they'd start you off. Okay. Well, we'd like you to work year round. How's that for you? You know, and it's your first job. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Sounds yeah, great. Or like if, but if you, if you had a friend and they had told you, you go, well, uh, what about like the seasonal thing? And they go, oh, okay. Yeah. 18 and eight. And then if you really had some friends that told you and, and you pressured the hiring official. You could ask for a 13 and 13 career job, but, but they weren't advertising. they didn't start at the bottom and they weren't really advertising that across the fence anyways. In Cali, as much as it started at the 26 and 0 then trickled down.
0: Gotcha. So
2: some guys showed up on day one, you know, and they get a computer and a card and.
0: The link past full the nine, yeah, and they're
2: doing like a big onboarding thing. And we're like, welcome to the rest of your life. And they're like, "Whoa, no, I want to <laughs> get laid off. We're like, that doesn't happen, bro.
0: Think again. Um, that's been, that's another thing too, you brought up too, is like a, like the boredom, right. Especially in the winter and the shoulder seasons, when you don't really have shit to do, you can't go burn because you're buried in snow. I, it's like, is that saying like, there's nothing more dangerous than a board Marine? Mm-hmm. You no, know, same thing with hotshots. There's nothing more dangerous than a board hotshot. So I, yeah.
3: When you look at some of these career positions, you know, a career three, and, and what are they taking home on a base wage? You know, Ain't you have shit, your man. benefits, you have your retirement, you know, if they decide to throw stuff in the TSP so that that GS3 career position is not making as much take home as that GS3 seasonal. And unfortunately, they're not they're not looking long-term. They don't quite, some do, but they don't quite realize the value of the retirement, TSP, et cetera, but they're looking at what's going on my bank account. Oh yeah. And when it's 500 bucks less than, you know, person here that's a GS3 seasonal, you know, that, that is a conversation that they, they, they kind of get shocked with like, oh crap.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those conversations that's not really had too often, because when you're, when I was 19, 20 years old, I wasn't fucking thinking about retirement, man. I mean, would I like to retire by the time I'm 45? Sure. Is it realistic for me? Fuck no, it ain't. I mean, I cashed out my TSP to buy a house when I got out of the game, but I mean, that's what I had to do, man. But I think a lot of people don't really understand the the long term gains. I mean, if you could suffer through eating Wonder Bread and fucking ramen, by all means, do it. But that seasonal life at the same time, man, you got to make that decision that between like doing hood rat shit in the in the wintertime and the summertime, or being PFT and paying in for the long term gains, right?
3: Well, I think there's always kind of the. You know, just a, a joke about oh, usually that second year hotshot, they show up with a brand new Tacoma, brand new whatever. They're hotshot rich, you know, because they they're rolling in the cash in the summer. Like, heck yeah, I'm going to do it again next year. But you have that conversation of like, hey, let's why don't you open up a, a Roth IRA? Ah, yeah. I'm good.
0: Well, it's like when the bil money hit, right? And I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. You guys are going to be like a hotshot. This is like a windfall event for a lot of people out there, especially the lower levels. We're not established. You're just like a single person out there, and you're just. I don't know, buying Tacomas and shit like that. It's like, fucking don't buy the tip brand new Tacoma. Go save that shit. Invest in your future, man. I was like trying to push that narrative because I wish I had not made those mistakes. Did I have fun? Oh yeah, I had a lot of fun. But now you have this windfall event. What do you do with it?
2: We're actually advising and good, bad, uh, indifferent. Like You almost have to advise the GS3 not to take all the career options. Um, definitely put something in your TSP. But if you take the expensive healthcare and the top life insurance and all of that stuff, like you're going to literally not be able to eat. Yeah. Um, If you're living in the barracks and you have a good barracks cost, you're going to live very, very tight in the winter time. If you have good life insurance, good health insurance, and you're putting a little bit away in your TSP. Um, The worst was during the COVID stuff when, The guys who had taken the career jobs um, were making significantly less money than the guys who were on unemployment. We had guys trying to get laid off. Uh, Can I just go to LWAP? Like they were trying to figure out how they could get back into that COVID unemployment money that was so much bigger. The bottom line, like you said, because these guys are living at the barracks, eating ramen and Wonder Bread and their buddies are out partying, man.
0: (laughs) Closing down the bar and eating steaks. Yeah, they're getting
2: like Airbnbs together, you know, because it's supposed to be the COVID lockdown. So they meet up in some city and get an Airbnb for a month together and just pay for it. Which is
0: probably dirt cheap because of COVID.
2: Yeah. And in the meantime, we're asking GS3s in California to come to work because (laughs) there might be a fire. (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
0: facts, dude. It's that's how it is. But that's a game we play, right? That's the decisions that we make. It's ultimately up to us. But I think we just need to be... better at producing that message and saying like, Hey, these are the choices that you have to make to either take the long-term or go and do the, the short-term stuff.
2: Well, going back to what Chase said, we, we have a lot of flexibility here in Nevada when things get brought up, like the, the second captain and the three squad leaders, as long as we can make it make sense. Um, and, and, and show the reasons why I feel supported enough from our leadership that they're at least going to let us give it a try. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't bought onto the one, two, three yet. Um, just we're a veteran crew. We have a different structure and our over or our turnover is quite a bit different, um, but that's not to say that it wouldn't work. I, I wanna look at how it comes, but we do have a lot of support. It seems like anything that we bring up as a good idea gets pushed all the way and gets support coming back down.
0: It's not like a, it's, it's the fuck around and find out graph, right? I mean, if you come up with a good idea, you gotta test the waters but sometimes it doesn't work out and if, if things go too far without a lot of i guess insight or like thought into it they just like implement a policy or a plan there's going to be repercussions both good and bad or maybe unforeseen right so anyways let's go around the table and introduce ourselves give us a little background story about who you are
3: what you've done take it away man Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and start. Uh, Chris Burlington, current position, uh, fire operations coordinator uh, with BLM Nevada out of our state office. And and really what that position entails is, uh, you know, kind of a a special projects doer, if you will. Uh, I like to still stay engaged with the engine programs, the crew programs, Uh, really kind of just, you know, all all sorts of stuff come my way from our operational medical support program. Uh, You know, engine uh, captain uh, committee sounds like we'll be getting stood up here. Um, you know, former, uh, prior to that, uh, it was a battalion chief for a, a fire operation specialist, uh, with Idaho falls BLM. Uh, and before that, uh, hotshot soup for, uh, Lone Peacock shots, uh, out of Salt Lake, uh, non-federal program, uh, was there, uh, soup for, I can't remember how many years, five years or so. And then, uh, on the crew, uh, late, uh, essentially winter of 2005. And then, uh, just type two IA hand crews before that. So. Primarily, all my experience is, uh, is really the hand crew uh, portion and then uh, a little bit of uh, engine, uh, you know, program supervision.
4: Nice. Go ahead, man. Yeah, my name is Justin Zabal. I'm the current assistant superintendent right now. Uh had a tentative job offer, which I'll be getting the suit position this next Monday. Congratulations, um, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this will be my 13th season on Ruby Mountain Hotshots. Started as a GS3, worked my way up, so I've pretty much have done every position on one crew. Uh, before that, I worked for the Type Two IA crew out of Elko, Nevada, the ENA Eastern Nevada Agency, and then uh, the next season went to Wells, Nevada, on an engine. Nice. So,
1: right on. Uh, I'm Chase Manis. I uh, cut out a little bit there, but um, I, I started my career the day after I graduated high school. I actually missed my graduation party because uh, I had to take S-130, 190. Uh, I was a grayback contract crew. Uh, did that for four seasons. And then I went up to Alaska as a crew member on the the Midnight Sun Hot Shots. Was there for about a decade. Uh, worked my way up to the the superintendent position there. Did that for my last two seasons. And then in 2020, I transferred down to BLM Nevada to run the the Ruby Mountain Hotshots. Did that for three seasons. And then last month, I took the Eastern Nevada Agency BIA AFMO position on the Elko District um, and just kind of getting into that role and figuring out what all that entails. It's kind of a unique thing because uh, I'm a BLM employee, um, but I'm funded through a reimbursable agreement through the BIA. Uh, to kind of serve as their AFMO and manage the camp crews and the the hand crew for Eastern Nevada agency. So I'm nice. um, still um, getting into it and uh, sometimes questioning my my life decisions, but I think I did it for the right reasons. <laughs> well, congratulations as well, man. Thank you.
2: I'm JP Blair. I'm the current superintendent at Vegas Valley veterans on the Southern Nevada district, uh, BLM down in Las Vegas. I started my career with Mill Creek Hot Shots on the San Bernardino. I did uh, the apprenticeship program through there. I converted up at big bear and worked for frank esposito um, <laughs> yeah uh i left there i went down to uh vista grande did a squad leader detail there got a squad boss job at at del rosa um worked for neil gamboa there for a while before he took off um went back to vista grande and did a another detail as a captain up there working for brett pascali and then uh i Got my captain job back at Del Rosa working for Dave Barrero. Um, I enjoyed all of it down there. Um, There were some unique challenges. Definitely got my teeth cut, and uh, that's where I learned everything, but I have no qualm with leaving. Uh, It was a very good place to grow up, but it was a very good place to walk away from.
0: Nice. Yeah. And that's that whole thing. It was a big topic of discussion throughout this entire week is that you, when you're moving around and trying to move up through the ranks, you kind of got, you, you have to move, like you have to move around. Right. Especially on crews, like traditionally, a lot of that upward movement is really like blocked because a lot of people, once they get into the hotshot or the crew life, they kind of tend to stay there. Like once they're on a crew and they're dialed and they like the crew, the squatty's not going to be leaving like every three to five years. It's not, it just doesn't happen. So let's talk about that man like crew life in general and like opportunities that are out there just like some unique differences so that it is unique to crews that not really like hell attack or engines or other types of crews out there have
4: yeah i mean for ruby I, like i said i've been on ruby for 13 years now came and watched a lot of dialed, dialed guys leave mm-hmm. um and at least i think it just comes down to location and then as you come up, like they talked about converting people to PFT. Once you get into your thirties, you're having kids, people are getting married. Yep. Pretty much everyone that I talked to, all the alumni is, you know, we're down here in Reno tying in with them and they're always curious about the crew. Cause you go through all that stuff with them. Uh, but they'd say, you know, you got to do it cause of your family location, maybe they can't move their wife significant other it takes a few few people that'll do it. But most people, won't so locationally, SAR our crew, like traditionally three to five years, then you're getting that hard turnover. So if you are smart and you are looking for, you know, to move up super quick, Ruby's the way to go.
1: Yeah. And I'd, I'd kind of second that with, I know with midnight sun, hot shots, I mean, there was a soup that was there for a long time and retired in that position. But after, after he left, I think 2009 was his last season. Um, quite a bit of, of, of turnover. Um, and I, I think people get up, they move up into like the squad leader ranks, tour duties start, getting extended a little bit and they kind of hit a hard decision. It's like, am I going to move here and this is going to be my life or am I going to go do something else? And I think a lot of them go do something else. Like I was able to move up pretty quick, um, through the midnight, midnight sun hotshots kind of for that same reason. It's like, people don't want to live in Fairbanks in the winter because it's yeah. 40 below and dark and inexpensive as fuck. Inexpensive.
2: So, um, Yeah. For me, I just, I took every opportunity that came. I put in for details. Um, I had been in the Marine Corps and I was just basically trying to get my rank and leadership ability back. Um, and instead of a gun, I had a chainsaw or a radio at one point. Um, but I definitely had to move around. I, I commuted for, uh, two hours to go to big bear. So it was a two hour turnaround, um, either way, staying up there, living up there in the barracks. So just a lot of sacrifice, but you know, in order to get that next jump. Um, it was definitely a lot of sacrifice. And I, I think a lot of people are doing that now there's a lot of dudes, especially down at South ops. You didn't used to work on different crews. You didn't want to go there. You, you weren't welcome. Um, I I definitely was an outsider at Del Rosa when I got my squad leader job. I I didn't get the detail there. I was not the pick. Um, I think I ended up being the pick after I proved myself, but, um, you know, but now there's a lot of people that are willing to move around for opportunity, um, and maybe they figure out that a location that might not be the most ideal works out for one reason or another. Some some people's wives like to slow down, and some like to speed up, and I mean just
0: whatever flavor you, works for you, right?
2: Yeah, and like down in Vegas, we we don't get a lot of people that want to come work there because they all they see is the lights of the Strip, and they don't know that you know 15 miles west is. Nothing. It's Red Rock followed by the Nevada desert. <laughs> Aliens and, um, and shit. <laughs> yeah. So we get these guys that want to go work in the, the middle of nowhere. And we're like, dude, Nevada is the middle of nowhere. Oh, like, yeah. it, you know, it works for Carson, Reno, uh, Vegas, anywhere of those places. You drive 30 miles and you're nowhere.
0: It's a cool thing about Nevada, though. It's like everything... And, and we had this discussion, too. And I don't want to, like, plug any, like, bitchin' spots. Like, I am try and keep our secrets as, like, landmarks and cool shit to see in Nevada. Like, kind of unwraps. But, like, think about the road systems here. You got, like, 395. You got 50. You got 80. It's, like, all the shitty parts of Nevada. All the cool stuff is, like, well off the beaten path. And that's the cool thing about cruise is you get a unique opportunity to see all that shit, especially in Nevada, man. And then even going out of state off district, right? You get to see all the other cool shit that's pretty much been untouched by humanity. And for hand crews, it's, Vegas hand crews, they're fucking awesome, you guys are awesome. I've worked with you guys a lot. Worked with Ruby, I've worked with Silver State, I've worked with Black Mountain, I've worked with all these crews, man. And uh, it, it's it's cool because you get to do a lot of cool shit. Like, tip of the spear, right? Hot shots, I mean, what's an average day in the life of a hotshot for the people that are thinking about getting into there? Obviously, if you're on a hotshot crew, you know what to expect. But for those folks looking to jump into the ranks of shot, and let's let's take it
3: there, man. There I was, deep in a stump hole <laughs> in the center of Nevada,
2: covered in fire beetles. <laughs> <laughs> there I was in a twelve foot overhead Velcro brush, um, looking at my I saw a partner who was equally dying. Um, asking him, him if he had any water left and it was only 12 o'clock.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what makes hot fun is you look down the line, you know, you're hurting. And I look over and see Chase and he's a lot, he's hurting a lot more than I am. <laughs> and then you just, you just smile and you just say you're doing okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Kind of embrace the suck mentality, but yeah, you're all sharing. You're all eating the same turd sandwich at the end of the day, but you're getting shit done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say being a hot shot, I'm super biased cause that's really all I've ever done, but, um, probably the best, best job in fire for sure. And it's like people in fire, it's like, whether it's a detail or whatever, it's like, I would recommend everybody like at least get that experience, that, that camaraderie. It's like whether early season PT and as a crew, or even on the fire line, you know, it's like the amount of, the amount of work that a group of mot- motivated humans can accomplish is like impressive. Like I remember after long shifts, like looking back and, you know, putting like a, Three mile swath through the through the tundra and AK, you know, and it's like, like looking highway. back, looking back and seeing the highway that you know the crew was over able to put in over a few days. It's like it's always always impressed me, and you know, I've I've met a lot of a lot of great people and people that I still keep in touch with to this day through that job and kind of I guess through that you know the misery that we endured together. So. I don't know.
4: Best
2: job in fire. And then you get a spot over that. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that keeps uh, like the guys coming back or maybe even initially attracts them is you never really know for sure what a day in the life of a hotshot looks like. Um, just because it's rapidly changing, there's always something new. Um, usually when you start to get in a groove and and you think, you know what the day is going to look like is when you do get that spot or, um, somebody else needs your help or a different division becomes a new priority, or you think you were going to go to Reno, but you get turned and next thing you know, you're in Southern Idaho. Um, You thought you were going to R and R somewhere cool, like the GSR. And instead you end up in Alamo. (laughs) (laughs) I like just
3: the, uh, the diversity of people. Sure. There's, there's, there's diversity that you can put on a a spreadsheet, but just, you know, I, I remember, you know, run of my crew. I I had an individual that was an attorney, uh, uh, past the bar. He was an attorney, had an individual that, uh, you know, quite a few out of, out of South LA, like just some, some hard, hard living. Mm -hmm. You had people coming from, from wealth, just good, solid middle-class people. And, and just to come together and, and form form that team, And, and kind of shift and get them to drink your Kool-Aid, you know, become that like-minded, you know, program and, and just get out and, and get shit done and, and coming together on the side of the hill with, with other crews, other soups and, and having that vision and, and that strong forward lean is just, it's, it's freaking awesome. Uh, And, you know, in, in other parts of our fire community, you can, you can get some of that, but I just haven't been able to match it, you know, fully. And, and yeah, just, you know, you're, you're all just, you're just there to get shit done. Yeah. And some days just suck. And some days are what you see on YouTube. You know, you really, you know, you see some, some badass stuff, like what you see on YouTube. But I remember one year our crew video was like no fire. Like it's no, no open flame, like no tree torching, no big burnouts. Like they did it anyways, but you know, None none of the hero shit. Let's show like what.
2: Th- this other i always aspect. thought it was I, I always thought it was funny that uh hot crews put so much aircraft like because coming from southern california they would just put like like the air tanker montage It was like two minutes of air tankers just blasting with like a white or blue he or shot. red hat in the back and i'm like i asked the guys one year uh, do you think that the tanker base when they put on their end of the year crew video is just like a bunch of lines of hot shots on the ground getting Painted with retardant and that they have like a four minute montage of helicopters, like ditching loads on the dudes or like, you know, bringing in sling loads of water or like, and of course the answer is no. Well then why are we including so much aircraft in ours? Like, is that the only thing you got?
1: (laughs) We had to, we had to limit the amount of bucket drop videos on the Ruby mountain crew video for that reason. We're like, All right.
2: No more than two clips. Yep. You understand? Had to cap yep. it. Well, we get it. That's the only time that you're kind of standing around because nobody wants to be the guy that gets caught when you're supposed to be digging or cutting, you know, taking a video of your buddy. I, I definitely started to see the importance in those times because it was lacking so bad, but who's the right person to do that? You know, like. I always thought, oh, when I'm not on the saw, I'm going to set up a tripod and I'm going to put it on a time lapse. That way you can see all these bushes go away and then the dig comes by and I never, ever took the time to do it. You probably don't
0: even have time to do it.
2: Well, you know, it was always this thing in the back of my mind that I was going to make time to do it and I never did.
0: Well, that's one of the things though, too, is like, you know, I had this discussion a couple of times with uh, some other folks as well, but like the whole, like, draw the pros and cons of like social media and like taking some photos and sharing them with your friends or you're on your instagram or fucking whatever right i think it's really powerful because especially on the cha community man it's like fight club you're like you don't you don't talk about fight club right you don't talk about your day-to-day operations you don't have a lot of like storytelling involved especially with hotshots and smoke jumpers right but the importance of telling that story in a public fashion, I think it's critical to telling your story and promoting our agencies and what we do, the good we actually do. Yeah. Do we light a lot of shit on fire and cut down a lot of trees? Yeah. But it's a necessary evil to accomplish the mission, right? got to sacrifice some acres to save a lot of acres, right? So what's your guys' stance on that? I mean, obviously, granted, there is a time and place for doing the fucking hero shot, the do it for the gram stuff, right? But do you think that's like, one of those things that you've seen change over the years like where it's more acceptable, like socially and culturally acceptable to like share that story. And what's your thoughts on it?
3: I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you to the punch there. Cause, uh, you know, I was fortunate with the crew I ran, it was, you know, and as a soup, it was a little bit sooner. And we, we had that hard line, no cell phones on the line period. Yeah. Uh, in, unless you were in a leadership role for a reason. Dick, Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and one, it was just more for the, the awareness factor. Uh, Essay. You know, and, 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 and trying to not be like, just no cell phones because I said so, but, you know, really trying to, trying to tie together to the reason why the intent. Um, but also we, you know, th- I think there's a difference in telling the story and bragging. Oh, and, and I think Instagram, the Facebook, the tweets, whatever, there's, there's way, way too much bragging and, and not enough humility. Yeah. They're doing
0: and, it for the ass and the glory, basically. The,
3: the, the clickbait, whatever you want to call it. And, and, and I like. I for me I try to really be a humble person and I always try to teach and mentor like humility you know be confident but be humble yeah um th- you don't need to post all this badass shit like y- you know the badass shit that we do we know the shitty stuff the boring the mind whatever but you don't need to advertise it but there is there is a time and a place to sell the story to paint the picture and and show the sacrifice as well and and I think is is an agency the BLM, i think we have good good entities that are are trying to show that and and capture the sacrifice and the you know the hero shots and 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 just the human aspect that's you, a
0: big one right there the human component of it right
3: exactly but what you you lose with that individual um posting on instagram or whatever it's f- for what yeah like for what just to be like yeah look at me uh, that's my opinion the hey look i'm a firefighter exactly yeah. pull it go to here's my fire. I don't know. That's, that's how I kind of see it. And
1: I, I, I actually found that, uh, I know it's probably not the case nationwide, like all the firefighters because I know there's some good people that post some good stuff on social media, but I kind of found that the people, uh, you know, first, second year hotshots that are most active on posting the glory stuff on their social media were actually generally like the lowest performers on the crew Yeah, generally. And I know that's, you know, generalization, I'm sure it's not the case. I really, I really it's very distracting.
2: Like, like they might be a very good cutter and they want to produce, but they're distracted throughout the day, multiple times trying to get those. Or when they should be doing something differently, they're doing it in a different way to show a different perspective on social media. Yeah. I, uh, I personally got my ass kicked in recruiting this year by social media um, and by not having like a, a crew page. And for me, I we're going to need to do something because I, I've literally had guys call back and say, hey, I'm going to go here because they have more of a social media presence. I don't know that that's everywhere yet, but I had multiple people tell me that, um, which I said, you know, good. Um, I think it's a great recruiting tool. It's a good way to sell the the changes within your program. And like, for me, I want to highlight like the barracks because we have great facilities in Southern Nevada. You guys are
0: still out of Red Rock, right? Yeah. That place kicks ass. I I want
2: to, you know, like uh, highlight the people, not the action of like, not the big picture, of the guy cutting the tree or the big burnout. Everybody's seen that, but this is this person. This is a story. Um, The internal workings of the BLM webpage, they have two separate things. So they highlight people, in one and then we have the what is it the firefighter photo contest mm-hmm. and that's kind of all the hero shots you know where where a guy does set up a camera in his downtime and takes some rad picture of a blm engine with the northern lights in the background but um they're more calculated than that but yeah it's
0: like planned out but it, you yeah know, when the northern lights are going it's nighttime it's not like you're out on a line and I I see the utility in it. And like you said there, I don't think it's necessarily people following or joining up for a crew just because of their social media presence. Cause that's a bullshit excuse. I
2: think think there is at least one crew that people join, if not a few that people join for social media, Mm -hmm. because once you're tied in with one of those crews that has a big following, you are going to personally get a bigger following. And that's why people have social media. It's the dopamines that come, the heart rate that comes with checking it. It's no different that, than gambling. Dude. That somebody thinks you're cool.
4: Yeah. yeah, but you think about when we're spiked out or we don't have cell service. Think about what the crew does.
2: They
0: with, talk. With,
4: with no they cell phones. They talk to phones. each other. They're talking. They're coming up with unique things. The, the, the crew, awesome the crew stuff, bonding's right? going on. And then when we get back into service and you know we've been out for, let's say, six seven days these guys are chomping at the bit soup and foreman's going in and they got service where are they getting this yeah. stuff and it's like things are different but like yeah you can get them service but the crew uh their production and everything's a lot better when they're not distracted
2: you yeah know? and that um that cohesion is lost i mean there's that before i mean when i started yourself you had a cell phone half soup probably let us bring them to the line or didn't really know or care um but they didn't work no i mean you, it, as soon as you drove out of a major city they didn't work you didn't have service dude i had um, motorola flip phone yeah and like, so it wasn't even shit, it wasn't anywhere. even a thing and if you took a picture it was so grainy and crappy that you you weren't really proud to show it off and you yeah. couldn't you know you couldn't see all the detail and the cap face of this tree and all this stuff and it, it's changed a lot. There's crews
0: out there with dedicated photographers, which, you know, I mean, it's, I, and I know the crews that you're talking about, I'm not going to like call them out or anything like that because sometimes they do good work. I mean, there's also, you know, crews out there that happen to have a large social media following that might be, if I've worked with them in the past, they might not have been the best or they could be actually pretty fucking dialed. You know, it's, it's the good and the bad and that exists anywhere within our community, within a crews, with our heli attack crews, anything out there. But I think that uh, it's, I think that, going back into like the social media following i think that they have that following i don't necessarily think that people are joining up with that crew specifically for that i just think they have a better storytelling mission that's the they're, they're communicating visually right they're telling their story but i could I, be i'm wrong. not
2: gonna call those crews out either but they're there
0: yeah
3: i'd rather uh i just rather work with a, a badass crew that gets shit done and then i don't need to go and check it out on the website to see if. well it's like badass. that analogy
0: right there right once you're in the pros once you're in the nfl why fucking gloat? You're there. You're a pro. You don't need to tell people you're a pro. You, you were there. You don't need to gloat about it, right? And that's what the hot shots are. You're in the fucking pro leagues, man. Mm-hmm. So,
3: and I do know that you know maybe this table here that 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 vision might be biased towards one direction because you know as as you you shift your culture and it comes up through the ranks, and you know that that individual I hired, you know, in two thousand you know eight. You know, when they start running a crew here in five years, they might have that different perspective. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, is that right or wrong? For me, that's not, that's not how I jive. It's not my jam, but, but I don't think it's, I'm not going to call it wrong either.
0: It's just an individual thing, man. I think it's uh, one of those things where it's like, it could be utilized for great good. Also, it could be like total type two shit, right? Mm -hmm. Just depends on what flavor.
1: And I know on on Ruby, we kind of just operate under the mentality. It's like, we had a a guy on the crew. I mean, obviously he would, he would work, but, um, he had full reign. Any, anything we're doing, if he stopped taking pictures or videos, like that was his job. He was the crew video guy. He was like the document. Yeah. And there's, there's been some really great crew videos that have been produced, but it's not something that we blast out there. You know what I mean? No, that's, that's a thing. It's for the crew to like look back and, and reflect, you know what I mean? And I will give the, the BLM props because Um, They've done a good job of getting out with the crews and taking action shots and kind of telling our story. Um, And I really like that because it's like we're able to just fully focus on the mission, uh, get the work on the fire done. And they're dealing with, you know, taking photos. Yeah, you might have somebody in your face taking a picture, or taking a video or whatever. But that for me, you know, instead of. Having to absorb all of that and be yeah. like, "All right,
0: it's just another duty as a song. You're the
1: social media guy. You know what I mean? That's that's your job is to deal with the social media. Yeah. It's like I think the BLM's done a really good job, of kind of like coming in and like telling our story for us. Well, they have,
2: yeah. The, the photography, you know, like the historical uh, captures and and, and all that. It's nothing new. I mean, there's a people,
0: tradition that's been going well. There's people at there.
2: South Canyon that had you know cameras in their back, VHS camcorders in their backpacks. Um, Dudes that were carrying and actively taking Fireline pictures. Um, Polaroids. Yeah, like there's a lot of uh, stuff that comes out and like um, two more chains and stuff like that. There's like these historical photos where there was a big event that happened. It's somebody had a full size, like 35 millimeter camera in their pocket. So that aspect is nothing new. And like Chase said, I think that capturing those moments, especially for alumni the crew history things like that it's extremely important
0: oh yeah i mean think about all the traditions and like history behind hot shotting where is it all found only within the crews right that's that's something that i think that is it's something that i kind of want to change uh, eventually i kind of want to put some of that stuff out. obviously not like the funny ass stories that is crew secrets obviously but you know just like a history like you're all of your, your hitters in the game, man, that have maybe still have been around or may have passed and just capturing that moment. I think that there's a, a missing piece there. Cause we don't know shit about cruise, man. It's like, there's like this element of mystery and mysticism. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not told, man, it, To in my perspective, at least it's only told within cruise. It's very tribal and it's very like oral history. It's, it's, it, I don't know, man. It's, and then it, I'd love to see it shown.
3: Yeah. There used to be a, I can't even remember where it resides, but you know, part of the the larger, you know, fire leadership website or or whatever. But you 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 could use to nominate you know leaders in the community to to have their history. You know, somebody would sit down and you know and spend a couple hours and, and try to try to get that oral history. And, you know, and then of course, you know, I, I don't know if the little hotshot, you know, history book's been updated for, for a while, but that's, that's U.S. Hot Shots
1: Association is in, t- in charge of that, right? I think, th- I think there's just some drama surrounding that right now. There Can is, for yeah, sure.
3: there is definitely that. And then, you know, you look at, at just the different crews and, and how they view their, their history and their tradition. And, you know, I know for me, when, when I was a soup, I really tried to involve you know, the, the alumni, you know, those, those individuals that have come through, you know, our particular program, you know, involving the former soup, uh, you know, and involving those, the you know, the overhead and and just like, you know, the emails and the, Hey, here's our crew party. It's not just, you know, 2012 crew party. It's, it's, it's the cruise party and a season closeout. You guys are all more than welcome to come. And just to like bridge that gap from the, Well, back in the day, well, this is how we do it now, you know, and and just getting getting that mix. And it it was always met with mixed, you know. Reviews, I guess, if you will, but
2: I almost saw a a good throwdown at a reunion at a Vista Grande reunion they had their 40th. (laughs) And there's a guy that showed up in the old vest, you know, so he's got the red historical Filson vest on from like the late 70s, I think. And he's like reading the rights to a group of dudes that are currently on the crew. And these guys are just taking it because this guy's older, you know? Yeah. And finally, one of the, the dudes that's currently on the crew kind of just like gets in this dude's face a little bit and goes, well, how long were you on the crew for anyways? And he goes, I did five and a half months. <laughs> <laughs> and and this was a, a one of those old school temps. He had done 11 years on the crew as a temp. And uh, so, so he, he was just too kindly to it. Yeah. He was just like he was humble about it but he was like well man like you might need to check your your group that you're talking to because like these guys are all full-time this guy's you know been a detailed squatty. this dude's been on the crew for 10 years i've been on the crew for 10 years and the the guy was quite a bit taken back but there was like this stigma at the start of it where all the guys with their red jackets and the guys who had been on the crew in the 70s and 80s like didn't want to talk to any of the new dudes but it it got broken up over that and i a big vat of beer that got pushed into the middle. (laughs) Shut up, drink.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't want to digress this conversation too far, but I got a funny story. Uh, so a couple months ago when I, when I realized I was going to be leaving the crew and taking another job, I, my oldest daughter's four and a half and I, I broke the news to her. I'm like, Hey, just so you know, you know, daddy's not going to be a hotshot anymore. And she just got super quiet, started to see some tears build up in her eyes and she's like, so we don't get to go to the hotshot parties anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We're still going to the hotshot parties, but I, I just thought that was funny because that's just been the crew, you know, between Midnight Sun and Ruby. It's like, since she was born, like that's been par, a big part of her life. That's you know? been I, super
0: influential. I thought that's yeah. funny.
1: Like that's all she cared about. She, she doesn't care about me being around more. She just cares about the hotshot party at the end of the year. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's funny though, because like the, the culture thing though, it's like we uh, people that haven't had any experience in the hotshot realm, like they look at hotshot crews and they're like, kind of like standoffish like oh go over there go over go there you can go fucking ask him for some help you know but in the reality of it, reality of, of it is is that you guys are doing the same mission in a different capacity but we're all there for the same mission right so as far as like clearing the air as far as like that standoffishness or that like mysticism behind hotshot crews and crews in general like how do you alleviate that i mean i know there's a bit a big change in culture but also those old misconceptions about hotshot crews that uh, still exist, man.
1: And I, I think it is kind of a, a mis, misconception. You know, it's like, I've always been under the mentality, um, super humble. It's like whatever fire we're on, it's like, we're there to help the situation. We're going to work well with others. You know, I think there might be, there's a few inches, few instances, you know, where like people are like, Oh, I don't want to work with that soup, you know, cause he's a dick or whatever. But, um, I think we've done a pretty good job at, you know, being, I'm um, kind of the leaders on the fire line and, you know, whether it be a type two crew engines, whatever, like bringing them them into the organization and being open and communicating with them. You know what I mean? I know over the years, people are like, man, you're like the nicest soup I've ever talked to. And I'm like, well, you know, I think it's just the, the humble being humble about it. You know, it's like the work that the crew does is impressive, but it, I think we've, we've done a good job about uh, remaining humble, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
3: Yeah. I mean, che- yeah. check your ego. And you know, that's, like like, how many crews out there want that type two crew to come in and clean up behind them? Nobody. Bullshit. Like it, they have saws, take a leap. Like help our guys out. Like take that leap. That also, one, it helps our crew out. It gets them that experience. Hey, we're going to burn. We have a big burn up going on. Hey, you know, engine crew that's helping support. You got somebody that's never ran a torch. Let's throw them in. Uh, how many times you say, you know, actually say, Thank you to that camp crew that's, well, past couple of years, it hasn't been hot buckets, but hand you your food. Yeah. Like that, that crew member on my crew, say thank you. Say, hey, how was your, whatever. Like, like, check that ego. Like, yeah. be, be humble. Don't be some cocky prick that nobody wants to work yeah, for.
0: Don't be an asshole. That's a pretty good general rule of thumb for you yeah.
3: Know, life. <laughs> yeah. It, exactly. And just shake hands, you know, when you're, you're bumping down the line, bumping through another crew, what whatever type it might be or contract or whatever. Like don't be, don't be, don't be a dick, yeah. you know? And, and just really trying to teach that and, and practice that as a suit, you know, and, and leadership and even outside of the crew world. Like just, just check that ego.
1: It's funny too, how that, how that'll like follow people. You know what I mean? Like I, I can think of a few throughout my career where just had these reputations like they've gone through and pissed enough people off. That even if they do try to leave, they can't get another job just because there's this, you know, it's a small community and like that stuff,
0: super small,
1: that stuff matters. And people know, you know, you can build up a reputation pretty easy Catch I think more flies with honey than you do vinegar. Right. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's uh, definitely those people out there where if you're an ops chief and you look at the incoming crews, you're just going to cringe because you know that you've been putting together this big plan and you've been there for a week. And this guy's going to show up on day one and start pointing at ridges three miles out, or he's going to go, I think I can go in this drainage and and go direct on that with just no outside Intel. Um, and I, I know some of those people, and I used to have that mentality in my head of like, you know, if these guys haven't went in and gone direct on it, why not? We will, you yeah. know, and, and with no Intel. And so definitely getting to the superintendent rank, it's a big giant piece of humble pie and, For me it was almost a start over like it's like relearning the trade yeah absolutely it was it was dude i can't be this brash you know rough dude like i'm not a lead sawyer anymore i'm a superintendent like when i was coming up we didn't talk to other crews even if they were the other district crew and that had to go away real quick um because these are guys that i'm going to work with the rest of my career they're going to come to my crew like my soup didn't treat people like that but like in the crew member ranks We were too cool for everybody. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that was just the cruise I was on. But as I came up, it had to trickle away. And I think the last of the, I hate to say gritty because I like that word. Um, and I, I I expect a certain amount of grit, but I think the super abrasive people that are impossible to work with are phasing themselves out. Yeah. They kind of weed themselves out. I, I hope so anyways, because it is nice to go somewhere and, and meet up with, you know, another crew and not just another person, but another crew that you truly trust and you've built a relationship and you know that they're going to take that leap. Or if you, if they do ask us to hold a piece of line for, for them while they continue to burn, I'm, n- I'm not going to get three or four of their squad leaders trickling back through to come triple check my work, you know, yeah. or something like that, because they know we're back there doing our best too.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's a culture change too. I mean, that, I mean, how collective age in this room, I want to say, is what between late thirties to mid forties, ish. No, I'm not gonna say mid gonna mid thirties. Thirty nine. Copy that. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like paper eyes to see who goes first there. I, I'm 36, man. I don't have a lot of time in the game, but what I've seen over the course of like the like my time in Fire is this transition from like the old school, like the tail end of the old school this transition phase. And then now we're going into the new school. And like a lot of crews that I've worked with in the past, they were like that shut the fuck up and dig kind of mentality that don't talk to each other.
2: Yeah. Old school is not an excuse to be an asshole. Like that's not an interchangeable you term. You, you're not allowed to say, Oh, well, I'm just old school. It's like, no, that's a fucking, just, cop just out, swap dude. it back. Like, no, you're just an asshole. Yeah. Like if you're old school, then you know, you, <laughs> you drank with everybody on the district at a, at a district party three nights a week and you didn't hide out at the hotshot base. You're just an asshole that comes in and tells everybody that you know what you're doing and nobody else does. Yeah. But so, I think, go ahead.
3: I was say, so, so yeah, I, 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 def, I've definitely seen that shift in my career. And, and when I, the first year that I took the soup job, I had, you know, what I viewed as an old school soup, uh, you know, former soup for black mountain that retired and probably, And I've never worked for him. Maybe some Black Mountain, you know, crew members will, will disagree, but, uh, the nicest guy, one of the nicest hotshot soups that, you know, that I've ever worked with is it. And just fortunate to be like, Oh, I'm sitting at the same table as this guy. But, you know, had that, you know, maybe that old, old school mentality of, you know, just work ethic or, or, you know, tactics or whatever it might be, but just super nice guy. And it was just like, that's. That's super cool. It's not this, it's not this dick. It's not yeah. this asshole that nobody wants to be around.
1: Yeah. I know, I know when I was, uh, when I was coming up on the Suns, there was, there was still some of that, that kind of old school mentality that you were talking about, you know, I, and I kind of like looking back, I feel like our our lives got made more miserable for, for no real reason. It's like yeah. a miserable job. And like, I kind of felt like the overhead at times were like going out of their way to make our lives more miserable. Um, you know, working super hard and then getting told you're a type two crew, basically, you know, and kind of just demoralizing and crushing you down all the time. And one thing I did when I moved into the the soup world is I I kind of reflected back, you know, and like there was a lot of good fire um tact, like tactically, there was a lot I learned. You know, there's a lot I learned about leadership from my past soups, and like, So when I rolled into the suns and even when I came to Ruby, it's like the mentality was, it's like the high standards, the organization, the work ethic, the physical fitness. It's like all of that stuff can remain the same, but we're just not going to treat people like shit all the time. And we're going to let them have a voice. You know what I mean? And it's like, that has been super successful. And I think that's that generational, that shift you're talking about, you know, like younger soups are coming in and it's like, they've got different ideas, you know, Different perspectives, different perspectives, still accomplishing the same thing, maintaining the high standards, but just treating people good and, you know, demonstrating like real leadership versus just, you know, that militaristic style, shut up and dig. I think we were just talking about that in the room there. So it
2: was, it was even better in the military. I, I tried to tell people all the time. We, we were a very far outpost. I never and, thought I'd heard that from a Marine. <laughs> well, we were a very far outpost in Iraq and they got us mail. Um, they got blown up all the time, getting it to us, but they got us mail. They got us food. Um, we, we didn't always have to eat shit. Um, and I definitely worked for a lot of superintendents that did care, but I, and they tried to treat everybody right. But I saw a lot of mistreatment of just, you know, Hey, we're here for the night. And if you don't have an MRI in your pack, go fuck yourself. Yeah. You know, Which like, is and bullshit, that was, dude. You those are care actual, care actual that's a quoted freaking word. I'm not going to say <laughs> from who or what crew, but, but that's a direct quote.
0: Yeah. That's the thing, man. You got to take care of your, your your people, right? I mean, if you are a a, a prick, no one's going to work for you. You're not going to have the same motivation. You're not going to have the same outcome of work output, right? You're not going to have any of that camaraderie. You're not going to have any of that shit that hotshot crews are traditionally known for.
2: I don't know. Some some of these crews were able to do it. Like, they were. they were able to have like these rough, you know, like gnarly soups, and they would wouldn't have a very high turnover. Like, and I think the bros would ju- like the boys would just be so tight. Yeah. because they were getting treated a certain way that like nobody would leave. It was like, dude, you're stuck here in the ship with me. It's like me. a fear culture almost. Yeah, like we're, we're gonna eat this shit together. Yeah. You know?
0: It's like they're trying to like keep each other in the game, but it's like we, that's another thing too. That's like a topic of concern. It's not even a con- topic of concern. It's just a topic of culture that we have in fire. And it doesn't matter if you're on a hot shot crew, or a smoke jumper, or a hell attack, whatever. We have this suffer culture that we embrace. And arguably you guys, on the
3: line are eating it the most i want to say so i i still like that that grind the suffer fest now it's enchanting it? dude it is <laughs> you know like i so i mount bike and i have you know p- you're gonna get an e-bike well no i'm not gonna get no e-bike, i'm gonna pedal but, my ass up the hill because <laughs> i like to grind i like that suck i like that physical like you know when you get to the top you're just like ah all right now it's downhill, which is even tougher than going uphill, you know, and and that's like I equate that to, you know, there's there's the suck, like we always joke about the suck, like, but then there's just that suffer fest of just like hard days work, carrying heavy stuff, you know, having your line blown over to where you got to go find another ridge. Like, but that's 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 a that's a good grind, but just almost like working with somebody almost. that's just beat you down or or fear-based leadership is not. Fear-based leadership isn't, I mean, you, if you lead by fear, you, you, are not going to last, Yeah, you know, and, and, and trying to just expel that from any type of, you know, skill set you have. But, but that grind, that suck, that getting after it, like that's, for me, that's a good feeling. That's why I'll never own an e-bike <laughs> in the foreseeable <laughs> <Thank you>. future.
0: <laughs> so this episode is sponsored by no, just kidding. <laughs> well,
2: There's the, in, there's the intended things that make it the difference, you know, like the hard day's work is the reward that you get when it does suck. It's like, you, you can look at a solid accomplishment and all the things that suck go away. Yeah. But I think the thing that like the, not necessarily the suffer fest, but the mistreatment that arises, it's intentional. Um, and that part is hopefully what's, what's going to be gone. Like the bullying shit blatant like like fucking harassment and bullying, or or just like the things to like screw with people's lives. Like the, the, you know, if you have a soup that I had one that just chased every single minute of overtime that he could get. And so we worked a bunch of sixth and seventh day and we would go to project work on those sixth and seventh days because he said that we were getting paid overtime. So we should work 1.5 times harder. So we would just go eat shit on our, what should be our days off and we wouldn't be on fires or anything. We just, have some severity money laying around or, um, the people who you know, like without good intention would drag their feet on the road just to like screw with the days off. So you didn't get three, you only got two, or you only got, you know, one or, um, those intentional things is what I think is like the mistreatment factor, the suck factor and the, um, the suffer factor, as you said, that that's embraceable. Yeah. That's what keeps people around for some reason. It's kind of just yeah, feel alive, man.
4: What do you talk about? All of us, the that one time when you're on that ridge without a jacket, you know, the suck. You never talk about really the good times where
0: No, you only talk about the <laughs> suck. Exactly.
4: Deadline <laughs> <That laughs> held, water. yes.
0: <laughs> the the times. I mean, the funny it's the well, I guess uh, it's the times that you talk about is like the, the suck fest, right? You always like talk about that, especially with inner crew, right? Because you're all you're all there together for the most part. And then it's always the funny shit too. Like the funny stories. You remember that time that that dude fucking kicked a rock down the hill or something like that. And it's some funny shit. Right. And I think that's what keeps the culture alive. And I think it's very like, it's a very important part of our culture as firefighters to keep that thing going. Right. It's like hotshot crews got their traditions. They've got their training. Same thing with engines, same things with chat crews. And that it all plays into the part of the story that we're trying to tell. Right. But no one's really doing the job of telling it besides between crews
2: I'm like on oh, no. well we're here right now there we are <laughs> so i mean you you actually got you know a couple current and a couple former yeah in the same room which i i don't know 10 years ago if that would have happened in front of a Fuck microphone no,
0: wouldn't. There's no way man it's just like uh it's like having news crews show up to a fire what does everybody do scatter <laughs> Ghost town, right?
2: Yep. Not me, man. That was on Telemundo. Telemundo. <laughs> nice. Yeah. They interviewed a friend of mine at uh, the Thomas fire and they said that his Spanish was actually worse than his English and that they would just subtitle over me instead. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, it's funny shit like that, right? That's, yeah. that's the stories that people like remember forever across their lives. If you've been through a hotshot crew and like, that's something that all that, that crew is going to remember, right? That's funny shit. But Who else are we telling? Are we telling our family that Eh, maybe not necessarily? I don't know, man.
2: I don't know. There's a lot that you don't tell your family. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I I will say I spent
2: my entire career, like not being very open with my wife, Um, you know, up and to include like where we were. Mm I just, I didn't want her to know where exactly we were because she had access to trying to figure out what we were doing and that it actually did suck really and suck in like a safety aspect. So personal question for you, did you not
0: tell her? Because I'm guilty of the same thing, right? I would not tell my significant other, like my wife or anything, where I was, where I was going, what fire I was on. I would purposely not do that. She'd figure it out because she has access to NC web or whatever. You know, she can look that shit up. It's public knowledge. But I came into the thing is, uh, I, I came into the point where I was like, it's not worth telling her just in case some shit does happen or there's an incident. I don't want her to be like, calling every fucking district office or everybody just to see if I'm you know injured or if like something happened or if it was my crew or something like that. So I think it was like kind of a defense mechanism for me why I wasn't saying the quiet shit out loud.
2: It was it was some of that. It was also that I didn't want to only engage like I didn't want my wife necessarily asking me questions about the fire. Yeah. Like when I did talk to her, I didn't want to talk about the fire. I wanted to talk about what was going on at home or or just anything like before we had kids, just what she had been doing. She would ask me about the fire and I just didn't really want to talk about it. And mm-hmm. I'm it's, more it's open fucking to work. Work. You
0: don't want to talk about work. You don't want to drag the shit home. But yeah. And it's hard not to,
2: I, I've had to engage cause now I have kids. Um, but when I was coming up on the crew, I didn't call home like hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just trying to stay tactically engaged at a high level, um, do my job the best I'd call her once, you know, before we went to spike out or before we, I mean, we might be coming back to camp every night. I didn't call because I had other things to do. Yeah. Um, And so I I tried to stay really focused on that, but I eventually had to get an iPhone that way I could FaceTime the kids, you know?
0: Yeah. And it sucks, man. You take a lot of time away from home, man. Hot shot and crew life. It's, it's fucking hard on the family, man. It is.
2: I had
1: an an epiphany just now when he he was talking about his wife, but a few weeks ago we were talking about um, getting on, you know, getting on a team, being a division on a team. And like, she was like, what, what's a, What's a division? And I'm like, you know, we've been together long enough, and then I just had the epiphany that I, that I'd never actually talk about work. So that's a good thing, though. I just I mean, kind of, you know, to some degree, it's probably a good thing.
2: Some of these guys, you'll hear them on the phone, and they're giving like a full, like almost an operational <laughs> briefing to their wife. Like, oh yeah, we're on division. Like I know one in particular; he's a unfocused squad leader, unfortunately, but um, he he gives his wife like a full operational debrief of the day. I don't know if maybe that helps him debrief, but yeah, um, she's got to be at least fairly dialed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know uh, one thing I've always done and I still, I mean, I still, the last few seasons, I've, I've kind of operated the same way. It's like, I would just touch base with home periodically just cause I felt, you know, I'd seen people like, you know, throughout the years, like almost break just because, you know, they're talking to their significant other every night and they're like missing this stuff at home. And I found just for me, just touching base periodically. It's like, I don't know if it was the right answer or not, but it kind of like helped me get through the through the role. You know what I mean? Stay focused yeah. on what the crew is doing. And it's like not, cause the thing is it's like, you can't do anything. If there's stuff going on at home, it's like, yeah, you could leave the fire if something really bad's going on, yeah. but it was like, can't really, those little things, it's like, you can't really change.
2: So yeah. it's
0: like- You go out to the power's out, go check the breaker box. We'll open the fucking door and see if the breakers have tripped. right? Yeah. 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 Well,
2: 90, 99% of the stuff that happens, I don't know if the percentage is that high necessarily, but there's a lot of stuff that I just place absolute trust in my wife. And if I don't talk to her for a week, she's already got it figured out. There's yeah. like very few things that are like, hey, we need to talk about this thing right now and figure it out. Like if the breaker box does go out, like she'll figure it out. Luckily, she can call my dad or a friend or whatever. You know, I don't know how she pays these guys. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, you know, like like I put the same trust in my wife as I put in an assistant on the crew because she is my absolute counterpart. And when I come home, she's my superintendent and I'm her captain, you know? Like, yeah. like I, I try to come home. Like, how how do I fit into your plan? How do I help you? What do you need from me? Like, don't change your schedule. Just, just let me, I'll hold the line for you while you burn. Yeah. You know,
0: you go ahead, bump ahead, start dragging torch and I'll hold and improve.
2: Yeah. And the guys that call home every day. I mean, if you are one of those guys, it's no big deal. Um, but it's, it's like, it works
0: for you, man. It's, it's like getting it shot
2: with a BB gun every day because the same problem, like that little the breaker box th- box thing. You're going to talk about it for the next three or four days, even though the problem got solved. Yeah. You know, like, Oh, well, when that happened, it was such a pain in my ass. And me, I'm like, I'd rather take one to the head than two to the chest, you know, just give me the bad news once every seven days and I'm good. Yeah. Just get it over with, rip the bandaid off right? Well, that's a cool thing though about, uh, I guess some
0: changes. And t- speaking of the new school, I guess there's some, probably some pro- policy changes and just the way we do operations as far as crews. I mean, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but what do you think about the new like three days off? I know we're not really all on board with that, but I know that there is a lot more flexibility to like pick up somebody else, pick up a fill, right? And, you know, if you're squatty or somebody on the crew needed to go to a wedding or like a birthday or a family reunion or some shit like that, there's a lot more flexibility built into the system now to where we're aware of this shit and we have the opportunities to send people off. It's not like the old school where it's just like, hey, you're expected to be here for fucking eight months every day.
3: What's so, it? what's it going to hurt? Yeah. Does it matter in the big picture if a crew takes three or four days off? If, if our, if my operation rests solely on one crew being here, something's wrong, then, then we failed, which we have failed. Um, but, but why not? You know, yeah. The first couple of years is a soup, pff, Screw that. Actually, you know, it, it took maybe, maybe the second year as a soup. I was like, we're going to take a week off in July. And I was fought tooth and nail by leadership. No, tooth shit. and nail. You can't. I was like, why not? We, Some we were vacation, we <laughs> and and in 2008, as a squatty, I started to take two weeks off in August to go backpacking with my dad. It sucked, like losing out on the overtime, but that that's awesome. So so why wouldn't we continue, and and and, and even provide more? Like let let the soup. We trust the superintendent to to lead 22 humans with a half a million dollars worth of assets and some of the gnarliest shit out there
0: with some of the highest trained professionals in the industry
3: but we don't trust their their perception of like hey i need i need four days off yeah for for the crew you know and and that's where it's just like you know why not you want to take a week off paid let's do it let's figure it out well
0: here's a question for you did you have like an overwhelming sense of guilt because as a superintendent your job is to take care of your folks right if they're that gs3 seasonal and they're struggling during the winter, they got an opportunity to make all the fucking money that they need to make in that short season. Right. Did you guys have some guilt that you would carry with you? If uh, you would take off and maybe put them down or do you have guilt, like saying the, what ifs? like, does my captain got this, does this person have this, is this person going to be okay? Do you carry that shit with you?
3: I know I did. So the, the, the year that we took, uh, I tried to get a week off in July. It was, you know, we, we, we were, we were busy and, and, and with, with Lone Peak, Early on, like we, we put a lot of, of focus on on the crew members. I want to get these crew members as much experience as they can, as much overtime, as much pay as they can get, because we would only have them for two years, maybe three years, yeah, and then I'd push them out to the other crews or, or whatever it might be. you know. and so so yeah, to stand down for a week in July, you you heard about it, but but what I tried to do is shift my focus. Okay, well, what about the leadership that's been here for five, seven, eight years? I'm breaking them off. Yeah. When we're doing 1400 hours of overtime in a season, you know, that crew member after two years they are bound to done.
4: Yeah. But they're my tango. leadership's
3: still there. So, so yeah, to hear, to hear that second year crew member bitching that we're taking a week off in July, but then to hear about somebody that went to Yellowstone. Yeah. Like, fuck yeah, with their family.
1: That's cool. Yeah. I know, it, you know, it wasn't mandated within the, with the DOI, but. Last season on Ruby, every R and R we took three days, um, and for me personally, it's like I was able to get out and do things with my family. Just that extra day that I would never do on two day with two day R and Rs. You know, trip to Salt Lake, trip up into the Rubies. You know, doing like doing like real summertime things that like when you have two days off, you can't really do. And you know, I some I know some folks like within the BLM, it's like, they're making that decision based on, you know, the assignment or whatever. And like, from my perspective, it didn't matter what we did on the fire. It's like, we were gone for 16, 17 days. It's like, we're going to take three days off and like give people a chance to like, at least someone it a chance to have a little bit of a life in the summertime. You know what I mean? And I, I, I think it was super, super successful. And it, you know, if I was still running Ruby, it's like we'd be doing three days again this summer too, just because yeah. I, I think it, you know, it made a big difference.
0: Oh, yeah. And you get the time to do shit, right? Even if something comes up, like, say you got to go, I don't know, fucking you're buying a house and you go sign title, right? That takes a long ass time. It takes multiple days sometimes. So you have the opportunity to do that shit during the summer, like peak season. That's pretty cool, man.
2: Now, the direction that we got from our leadership, when we asked the question at the hand crew committee, you know, like, are they going to mandate the three days? They said they don't want to mandate it. And um, at first I thought, okay, well you know, why not? And then the reasoning behind it was, we want to give you guys as superintendents, the tactical and operational flexibility to, if there's a good reason to do a two-day turnaround um, that makes sense for you and your crew, by all means, do it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and the only one that I could really think, and from my perspective, and it would be a selfish, like, overtime-based decision, which I hate, overtime-based decisions. But it would be- a good motivator, though. You know, it would be, I. I really don't like them there's like it's, there's so many bad overtime based decisions but we're all guilty of it it time. would it would be to get back on like if if you had every crew in the gap coming back on on the 19th and you had the opportunity to come back on the 18th and get a guaranteed like late season roll or a very early season um but they with that same thought process is the GAC still going to clear out regardless? And can I, or should I take that third day off? But what, what the intent from the leadership was, we want you guys to think tactically. We want you to engage in relationships with your folks and really not just like Chase was saying, like don't base it on last assignment. Like whose perception of does that deserve a third day? Like who, who does that really fall on? Um, And then they said, we also want to give you the flexibility to take more days if you want. So if we locked you into three, then four would be an ask. But if you need to take four, basically tell us and tell the GAC that you would like to take four. Um, One of the things we did last year is we would just ask to extend a couple days and run it into a weekend. So we'd end up working 15 or 16, but we'd follow up with five. See, that's bitching right there. It's empowering. Like that
0: that change has empowered crews to make the right decisions for themselves and the crew, right? That's mm-hmm. uh, that operational independence. It's not really widely adopted across the nation, right? That's pretty bitching.
2: Well, and the guys, I mean, at first there's a little bit of chap in their ass, you know, because they all plan on this 14 thing, which I don't know why most of them, they're kind of new anyways. So they just have that 14 number in their head. When you tell them you're going to work 16 or 17, they, they all kind of go, oh, but when you follow it up with, Hey, we're going to have five off. Then it's like, Oh, I, s- now I see the purpose and how it you know, Hey, we're going to run these three days off into our, our weekend and get five. Yeah. They haven't learned hotshot math yet. <laughs> no, that's a, that, that, in age. <laughs> that takes
3: a long time. <laughs> and I, you know, and I think, uh, you know, since, since I've departed, you know, crew life to, to where we are today. Like I have seen that shift, you know, is is as have these guys on, on just that, that support for, for taking the time you need. And, and even, you know, my, I, I, when I first started on, on, on the hotshot crew, it was like, well, unless your time's scheduled off before the first day, you're not taking it off unless it's like an absolute emergency. Yeah. And, and I remember, uh, 2010, very good friend of mine proposed in like June and the crew had already been on and they were planning to get married in October and the crew was still going to be on. So I was shit out of luck. Like, I was like, yeah, it not going to happen. So I remember sitting on a snow snowstorm out of Beaver, Utah, on like the Twitchell fire, like the fifth roll, super pissed off. Like this is, this is dumb. And, and so, you know, trying to shift that, that culture and that, that thought process of, you want to take time off? Cool. Just don't come to me Friday and say you need yeah, give me a, heads a week up. off starting tomorrow. Like let's, let's figure it out because yeah, it sucks if you're, if you're gone from the crew, but, but it's okay. Like we're only going to produce what we can produce. doesn't matter if we have 18 or 23 or whatever it says okay. on the side of your rig, like you're going to get done whatever you can get done. And and like, I remember that like a couple years of me taking, taking time off in August. And finally, I remember like one year I was able to get like a squatty and a, and a lead to take some time off in August. And it was like, yes, but it, it was like, like success. it was a success. And, yeah. and, and to just show that it's okay like it will be okay. Like, sure. There's the guilt, there's the fuck, you know, and and just like, yeah, you're out. The FOMO factor. Exactly. And, you know, you're thinking of the crew and what you're missing out on. And then when you come back, there's all these stories and you're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I wasn't here, you know, but just trying to shift that, that mindset and that culture, you know, like I, I felt good with my program. We were starting to turn that tide. and, And I, I do think, you know, as a whole, I'm sure there's districts or, you know, for whatever crews that, that aren't shifting that way or don't fully believe in that. But I think as a whole, it's 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 being normalized, yeah. you know, that conversation is better of like, yeah, we're gonna take four days, maybe five days if needed.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the t- the whole conversation around like taking care of yourself and taking care of others. I think that's changed dramatically over the last like 10 years, mm-hmm. I wanna say. I mean, it's acceptable. Like, hey, hey man, I'm having a hard time at home. You might if I like go handle some shit?
2: Yeah, kick rocks. Let me know. <laughs> well maybe not me, this asshole no. Let me know when let me know when you want to come back. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's the answer that like, if somebody says that, you know, obviously there's a deeper conversation. Like, is there yeah. anything I can do to help you? Blah, 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 blah. absolute support from the the minute somebody asks like that. Yeah, no questions asked. Yeah. Like, let me know when you want to come back.
0: Yeah, send it. I mean yeah. if you like have a death in the family or something like that. And again, just no questions goat, asked. You,
2: like now.
0: Why do you, why are you still here? Right? We'll
2: we'll figure it out later.
0: Yeah. And I think it's cool because it's even even like the topical shit that just like grinds at us, right? We all have those like little it's like death by a thousand cuts conversations, right? And it's it, it's it's socially and culturally acceptable now to like go to your squatty or go to your fucking saw partner or go to your soup and be like, hey man, can I get some shit off my chest? And a lot of times people are receptive to it. So it's definitely changed, and I think that's one of those misconceptions about hotshot crews because you guys are the most dialed, the most highly trained total operational independence and your ground truthing, you know, ahead of the fire, you're basically giving like the ops team, what the plan is gonna be for tomorrow and like long-term strategy on fires. This is some high level shit that you guys do, right? But to still have the kindness and compassion for your crew to have them you know, come to you with an open door, that's a major change that I've seen. If something's going on.
3: So, we used to call it hotshot psychology. Yeah. No offense to the psychologist out there. And sometimes it was very, very poor advice. Um, but yeah, just trying to trying to, you know, what, what we're calling peer support now. And, you know, just before we sat down in here, you know, just, this tremendous conversation around peer support and, you know, and, and like I said, we, we had no idea what we were doing. It's just like, Oh, you want to talk about shit? Let's talk about some stuff and no, you probably shouldn't kick puppies afterwards, but, um, you know, just, just really trying to, trying to be open to that and, and recognizing that, I don't, I don't know an answer. Like, I don't know, but let's, let's talk. Let's, let's just talk about how shitty it is. Okay. We need to find somebody because you are fucked up, you know, and, and, and just being there to support them. And, and I've seen that a shift in my career from when I first started to, to where we are now and felt pretty fortunate to kind of be in the middle of that as it was really trying to take shape of that, you know, just being, being there for, for whoever you're working with. Mm-hmm. But it's very tough to do that too.
0: Oh yeah. You got to have very some tough extreme. I mean, being a hotshot, I mean, you're supposed to be the hitters of the, of the fire, right? You're supposed to be the, the hardcore out in the lead. Right. And to have that, that ego that comes along with that of the pro leagues, it's really hard to be vulnerable to people. I think that's one of those things that's kind of being talked about as well. So,
1: so I got a, I got a question last week. I was in Boise taking a class and somebody turned to me and he's like, Hey, I got some, some folks that have been asking me questions. And it's like, how do you, create an an open environment on a hotshot crew. And, um, my answer to him, it, you gotta like actually live it. You know what I mean? I don't know how many bosses I've had that are like, Hey, open door policy, but their door's always closed. There are soups like, Hey, you could talk to me about anything, but then you don't hear, like you interact with him like two or three times throughout the entire summer. You know what I mean? And I think, uh, to make it actually happen, it's like, you gotta preach it, you know, early on, you know, day one, it's like, Hey, you know, you guys, something comes up. It's like, we want an open environment, but then throughout the season, like the AARs, the end of the day debriefs, like initiating discussions and just getting that environment to a point where, you know, the first, second year firefighters are actually comfortable, uh, bringing up issues they had, or, you know what I mean? Even if they want to come to me or Justin one-on-one and, you know, create that environment. It's not just saying it, I guess it's the difference between saying there's an open door policy and actually, creating an environment where there is an open door policy.
0: Yeah, it's like the stupid question phenomenon, right? Everybody's circled up and there's always that rookie that might or may or may not have a stupid question, but I guarantee you if that person asks the stupid question, four or five other people in that circle of people would be like,
3: oh, fuck, I'm so glad he fucking asked that question. <laughs> glad he's going to get all the shit talking, not me. Well, but, and how many times
2: is uh, you know, the leader, the superintendent asking stupid questions just because they're like out of touch, you know? Like, yeah, a little disconnected. Hey, how, how, yeah, like, and it's just something that you innocently ask because you want the truth answer. Yeah. And, you know, the crew looks back, you're like, oh, that was my stupid mm-hmm. question. Like, I'm out of touch with this specific thing or I wasn't engaged. I was over here and I didn't know. And I'm just asking, you know, hey, how's your guys' day? And the like, soup doesn't always know.
3: No, uh, absolutely I, not. You hear about shit like months <laughs> later, like, God, you guys really? So, <laughs> <I'm serious. laughs> so, so one thing I wanted to add on with Chase, you know, one thing that I've tried to shift my focus is open door policies. We've all heard them, right? Cool. Get Have an empty seat policy. Uh-huh. Get out of your office, get out of your seat, get away from your computer. Because you know, if you're if you're a, a soup, a squaddy, a battalion chief, and, and, and whatever level of leadership, if you're clickety clacking because you're really important and you've got all this shit to do, you yeah, got your doors open. But if if you're not paying attention, dudes, gals, whatever, they may not always be willing to come and walk in and shut the door and sit down. But get out of your seat. Have an empty seat policy. Get out and and be present with with those that you lead, whether whatever level you're at. And then to touch on, it's, it's, it's very e- easy to preach it, but I found it's very hard to practice it as mm-hmm. an individual, like, you know, fully support the conversations that are taking place outside right now, the the initiatives, the programs, the posters, the, the clinicians fully believe in it, but to practice it,
2: it's fucking hard. Oh yeah. Fucking I, hard. I think most of the hotshot offices are set up tactically. Um, I know the last career I was on, there was two captains right outside of the superintendent's door. And if you walked in and shut the superintendent's door, you were gonna get promptly met by two captains as soon as you came out. And that was, you know, basically just to try to keep the chain of command tight. I think it was done with good intentions, poor execution. Um, and I I was not the approachable captain at the time. Like total fatal flaw. I was trying to be. I was definitely preaching that, you know, you can bring me your problems. And I had a few, but uh guys within my module that trusted me at that level but not everybody did
0: yeah um we got to develop those relationships too i mean the new guy or girl coming into the crew they're they're stone cold they're not going to talk to anybody because they're probably fucking afraid quite frankly well the they don't
2: the crew members know if they see the door shut to the office something's up yeah they're, gonna, shit's they're going gonna ask that person yeah if the captains or the assistants see the door shut to the soups office they're gonna know something's up if If a squad is behind the building with a person having a conversation, they're going to know. Some shit's going down. Yeah. So it's, it's not always just the stigma from the leadership coming down. Like sometimes the crew members are hanging on to this, you know, like what are you doing in there talking to them thing or like what went down in there. And I think it's mostly self-preservation. They're wondering if like, they're talking about something from five months ago (laughs) that they did when they stopped over in Elko. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I think the big thing is like trying to just teach the guys that it's okay to talk to each other. And when it's appropriate to tell your bro, like, Hey man, like you should probably send this up. Like, like I think that, and there's certain people within the crew that they said should suggest like, this is probably a a problem for Brewington because he's been married or this is probably a problem for chase because he's, he's had like a similar experience and just kind of working that chain of command and navigating it can help those, crew members pick and choose the right person, but the whole overhead has to be bought into the program of, you know, helping each other and yeah. the peer support.
0: It's like that accountability thing, right? You got to hold yourself accountable too. I mean, that's one of those things. Dude. You can, you can hold somebody accountable all day, but are you at the end of the day, are you holding yourself accountable for all of these programs that we're trying to implement? Right.
2: Yeah. And that's, it's, uh, I think it's easier for me and the superintendent level to buy into the, the new programs, it's expected. It's, I see the value in it from a high level, but I have to bring that home and work it from the top down. I I have to work on the assistants to get them to buy in and, and the squad leaders to get them to buy in and get them to buy at that same level.
0: Yeah. Especially when you have a bunch of hard asses in the room, you know, these are, like I said, the pipe hitters of, of the fire community, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to get that culture changed, especially rapidly, you know, get stuck in your ways. But then again, it's, I don't know if there's like, like you say, we all want to get rid of that ego thing, but there's still going to be some kind of element of that. It's like, who's the best hotshot crew? And if your answer usually isn't, if your answer isn't the one you're you're on, then we probably have a problem, right? (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know, man. It's uh, a lot of changes on the horizon, but uh, I think that overall, I think that things are getting pretty dialed in. I think there's a big, big shift in culture, big shift in operations. There's for the better, some for the worse, man. And there, I, fair disclaimer, there is a time and place for like all the old school shit. There is, but not all the time. Yeah. Right. So I know you guys got to get out of here for lunch here pretty soon, but like one little last topic of uh, discussion that I wanted to hit you guys with is, uh, why would you want to go into hot shotting? Like, what is the purpose? Obviously the training's there, all that stuff, but like, what makes it worthwhile for you guys? Like, how would you sell your programs?
2: I can go first because I'm different and then I'll let the hot shots follow. There we go. So I, I run a veteran crew and the BLM started the veteran crews for a very specific purpose. And it was to assist the hot shot crews, um, like a dirty, dark secret. Elliot He's, told me about, he doesn't want to go type one status. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I'm not you're not going to either negative. I, copy that. I, I have no plans on putting my finger in the mix or taking a slice of the pie. That's already too thin. Um, there's already enough bad hot shot crews out there. Um, I don't want to engage in that pool. Um, if anything, we should be shrinking the number, um, rather than gaining them. I think there is value in type two IA programs. It gets too diluted. The flat. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I do not want delusion, so I'm not going to join. Um, but the BLM, um, specifically implemented these crews to, to gain the vets off the top of the list. So the list used to, or that used to go during hiring, we need to clear these vets and it was any way you could, you'd, call their number and hang up on them and say, oh, he didn't answer. Or there were some really dirty hiring practices that were going on. And some really smart people at BLM said, well, what if we just start these crews and we take these guys with no experience, but they have military experience and we capture their um, experiences from the military. We give them a place to come and transition to. And we hope that they stay and they, you know, go out like Mm-hmm. to other hotshot crews that's that's my main goal is like i want to recruit good dudes get them in get them some experience and i want them to go to to ruby and silver state and you had that common background too yeah yeah and so um you know for us we 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 specifically target the veteran crews um i was a veteran and when i transitioned out it was a really bad economy 2009 mm-hmm. and i the job that i had lined up didn't work out and so i came to the Hotshots as a last resort my brother was a hot shot at the time at del rosa and so i ended up on mill creek because i couldn't be there and i just found home it was like it was the most solid transition and i was respected for my military service within that crew and i had to catch up really quick i like the challenge Um, and i that's the environment that the veteran crews provide is it's a good transition point it's familiar language. It's a little bit looser. You can grow your hair out and grow a beard, which the, the guys just love for some reason. That's like a, <laughs> such a selling point, man. Like you could look like me. Let's start <laughs> uh, comparison
0: from the uh, military, right?
2: Yeah. And the looser chain of command, but similar structure and all that, they, they really, really like it. And then, you know, just the overall intent, get these guys in, get them a couple years. Like we try to go through a rapid firefighter one development because these guys have led men, they've, they've engaged tactically at a high level. Most of them are NCOs that have a couple years of solid leadership day-to-day running younger people than them. We just have to teach them the fire aspect of it. And we can do that rather rapidly, like to be a functioning entry-level firefighter, like the firefighter one type shouldn't take, like when I was coming up, there was dudes like two, three years Mm -hmm. to get their task books finalized. And We're not pushing people through that don't rate, but at the same time, the expectation, we give people their credit for their prior service. And so I think the the BLM vet crews have a special place in my heart for sure. I mean, I moved four hours away from home to uh, work on a veteran crew. I've worked with you guys in the past, man. And you guys, you guys are awesome. Yeah. I've got a dial crew. (laughs) Eric Ellison did a hell of a job uh, bringing the crew along for a long time. Um, but that's how I would sell our crew, man. It's, it's, it's crew cohesion it, the vet crews are a very good place for transitioning veterans. It's familiar, but you can grow your beard, grow your hair looser. You don't got to call anybody by your, their rank, um, but familiar territory.
0: Yeah. Personal question for you, man. Did you find a lot of similarities between fire, like operationally and also like hierarchy wise? I mean, you kind of confirmed it there. I mean, the, I hate drawing the comparison between the military and fire because there is no comparison. When you're in fire, you're not getting blown up and shot at, right? Wow. Obviously, there's that start comparison right there. But, but as far I, as everything else, though, is it pretty similar?
2: I don't know. I mean, I I came up in Forest Service Region 5 on the San Bernardino. If you go back and look at fatalities in the, the last, you know, handful of years, start at 2006 and move up, like we were hit really hard down there. So mm-hmm. our dudes were getting. Ding by trees and dying in vehicle accidents and, you know, just bad shit. So for me internally, I mean, that, that part definitely is there, but the military runs on a, like they have the exact same thing. They have regimental command teams that go to combat zones and they run that entire area of operations as a team.
0: So similar to a GAC.
2: Like not even that similar to a type one team. Okay. So like they were to put it in hotshot terms, they were sending type one teams to Iraq and Afghanistan who were, who would go run operations it would bring all their logistics functions, their air ops, their all the same people are there doing the same functions as they would be on a fire, but they're doing it in combat, and then they would cycle out. But the units that were there would stay there. Hmm. So I don't know who learned it for sure. Like who, if the military learned it from, I know the military learned some logistics stuff for sure from fire, um, but like instead of having you got the instead of having like the finance, logistics, operations, and planning. They're called the S shops and they do the exact same functions. Hmm. So when I got here and they're explaining things to me, it's like, oh, okay, well this, you know, I'm taking, what is it? IS 700 or I 200 or one of those where they're talking about incident command teams. I could definitely draw the parallels of the two very quickly. The camaraderie and the fast developing relationships um, and teams that you're able to build is exactly like the military um, I would say the the big difference for me was the level of engagement because you're living at the barracks, you're getting paid salary, which could be a slippery slope with this portal to whatever their standby a, stuff. Very, very slippery. Yeah. It's somewhere we shouldn't even go right now, but I was going to get talked about man. in the, in the yeah. military. I was living in the barracks. I was getting paid 24 hours a day. So this ass belonged to somebody. Yeah. Like this guy could legally come in the door at two o'clock in the morning And kick my door down and be like, we're doing training right now.
3: Yeah.
2: Or like literally almost
0: have a serial number on your ass. Yeah. Or like, or
2: like just, you know, knock on the door at eight o'clock at night. And I'm like, hey, I'm trying to get this done. Negative. We're training. Like, and some of it was good and some of it was unnecessary. But yeah, very, very good parallels. Um, Hmm. I think the bullshit factor. It was so much less in the hot shots. Like just the getting fucked with factor was so low. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> like nobody's trying to ruin no my one's life. I was trying to
0: smoke you. Yeah, I'm not, be- I'm
2: not like standing in front of the armory with a clean gun for six hours because somebody else's gun isn't clean enough. You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about you guys? How did you sell your program?
1: I'm going to let Justin answer this. Cause I'm a washed up hot shot now. <laughs> so we'll let him answer it.
4: I mean, it's all our program. It's like, At least for Ruby, it's a lot of young people. um, Traditionally, on most hotshot crews, they come from all over the country. Um, The camaraderie with the guys of bringing, like if you're in the barracks, like they're talking about, at least for Ruby, no one's really from Elko. So they're literally living, sleeping with each other all the time, doing stuff uh, in their off time at the barracks, learning new recipes and stuff like that. And then we start rolling. Um, you know, our program, we we try to hold a high expectation for physical fitness. Um, we compete in the BLM fitness challenge traditionally, you know, we're at least in the top five, I hope.
0: Um, side note to the BLM fitness challenge. What the fuck is up with the plank shit? Is that real? Yeah. (laughs) No more sit-ups. Some people
4: some
2: people like it, some people hate it. Like we talked about at the Hanker Committee extensively, and it's totally biased based on what your strength is. Like I could do a zillion sit-ups. It's of absolutely no value. Like I could just keep going and going, but you get this big old six foot five body in a plank. Um, my elbows start shaking pretty quick. <laughs> my abs aren't as strong as I was hoping they were. And you know, it's like building a big bridge across the long gap. <laughs> it's gotta be super strong.
1: And I think the problem with that now is like the planks, like trying to correlate the scores, like the old scores from when you did sit-ups to the yeah. planks, like I, I feel like they're not jiving right now. You know what I mean? Somebody that might get like a, a lower score on the sit-ups, you know, might get a perfect score on the planks. Absolutely. And I think like trying to correlate that scoring system, hopefully within the next few years, it'll get hashed out. But I well, just I, don't like fucking with tradition.
2: Well, and I can't bl- <laughs> I can't blame it on the people who are working on it because they're doing it with the greatest of intentions. But the military has been trying to figure this one out forever. And all the branches have different aspects of how they go about it. And now the BLM's like, let's start fresh from nothing. Um
3: my my recommendation don't do your physical training in the off season to pass the fitness test. You will fail through the summer. You burn don't, yourself out, man. I don't care if you can do 20 pull-ups because pull-ups don't put out fires. Mm-hmm. You gotta train for the season and and just the rigors and the and the grind and the being beat down like i've had dudes and and even gals that have crushed the fitness test but they get broke off on a hike right i'd rather crush the hike than get get broke off
4: yeah Yeah, i mean we're doing we're doing call-ins we start may 8th for ruby and our ultimate goal is like yeah we do have the fitness challenge we do want to compete against it Our, our intent is that you show up ready healthy a that's what they're calling in for and two you 're wearing your boots <laughs> <laughs> they're tied and, and they're right. tied and uh you're hiking because that's how you know we get to work and yeah. that's you the take your shoe is we need healthy hot shots and we need you to, you know physically fit but most of all ready to hike and to to hike everything if it's a QB Jerry chainsaw um you know we want everyone to be equally the same and hopefully everyone shows up ready to go well and to have a good attitude about it you yeah i
2: like and, and the big thing that we're having to at least down where I'm at is tell people, dude, like, just come in healthy. Like, don't, don't break yourself trying to train for the season. And once you get there, then just, you can come in in fifth gear. but once you get there, just drop it to fourth and just
4: maintain the rest of the season, please. Yeah, like Don't bonk
0: at the first week of hell week, you know?
4: Yeah. I mean, everyone can say it right now. You, uh, if you, if you haven't been on a crew, like you think you're, know you're ready, and we all have our stories, you know. It's I made think, that mistake. You think you're ready? I came to the crew when I was 19, and you know, thought I was unbeatable. Played, you know, high school football and all this stuff, and absolutely got my ass waxed. Oh yeah, like, and the the PTs, the hikes that we did, you know, they they are hard. Um, but I also, and Chase couldn't attest to this. I never wanted to feel like that again, so I made sure that I was ready for the next season and then to to sustain it um
0: yeah so. no i walked into silver state as a uh, a 20 year old full of himself fucking cocky little shit right and i thought i was ready for this uh this this physical challenge component, the physical component of being a hotshot and i fucking washed i got my ass beat like a wad of cookie dough and i'm not afraid to to admit it because it was one of the most valuable lessons i ever learned did i get back onto a hotshot crew later in life yeah I've, yeah Absolutely, did I recover? Did I get a very very hard lesson in humility? Absolutely, man. It's no joke.
2: That that first hike, you can't escape it. Especially if you've never done it. Like when I was at DR, the guys used to come in in the off season and they would they would hike it. They would hike the big hikes daily because they were just so nervous of that first hike. And I would always tell them, man, you can hike that hill by yourself or with two buddies that are also rookies. You can hike it a thousand times, but until you get put in the pack and the guys and the, the big boys in the front with the big saws are in front of you and you're staring at the back of a Dolmar and like you're it's wondering right. why you're breathing so bad and the other dudes aren't like and the nerves all hit you and you're wondering why you're gonna puke like I've hiked this hill a thousand times like that first hike in the pack is is that's the true test like, when shit gets real that's the gut check yeah I, I mean
4: it and it should be right yeah. Uh, at least every crew operates differently. We all do the same job, but everyone operates differently. Yeah. On Ruby, it doesn't matter if you were a Sawyer for 10 years. You fall out. You're done. You know, the dude grabs that. That That's theirs. I mean, yeah. everyone has bad days and, you know, and not saying whatever. Everyone has excuses, but, and we ha- operate in a high level capacity. And that's just the, the way it is with us.
3: Oh, yeah. I, I love the first hike. <clears throat> first day of critical, we tried to be hiking within the first hour yeah. because I'd carry a chainsaw and I could just talk so much smack because everybody behind me is a heck of a lot stronger than I was, but, but I knew where we were going. I, I was, <laughs> it was game on and they're, they're just mentally freaking out. and And so just trying to get that first hike out of the way and then get, get them to realize like, okay, you know, i've got this i'm strong
2: did you do the like we're going till i'm tired hike yeah you just go 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 because like when i was at there's certain certain bases where the hikes have to end there's there's the top of a ridge and like you can't go any further but shoot like where i was at dr like you can just grab a piece of a road and find another dozer line and grab a piece of a road and find another hand line and like those were the worst like even as a squad leader you know, or a captain, like I've hiked this hill a thousand times, but I don't know where, like, how froggy is the guy in the front feeling today? Well, and and we
3: had, if we're running out of time, just give us a, you yeah, know, we, cut. Got, we got about two minutes. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'll, so I got to go quiet. to the next meeting. No, I'll it's be quiet. Good, man.
4: Yeah.
3: But yeah, if you guys want to continue this conversation
0: after the day, man, by all means, we can. I got to call it though. I got to go put on a little presentation with Booze. So, good. but yeah, dude. This has been a hell of a conversation. It's been real eye opening into the culture and like the way hotshot crews actually operate. It gets rid of some of that like that mysticism that those false, I guess, perceptions, those misconceptions that we have. So, and yeah, there's a lot of value being on a crew. So, but since we're at the end of the show, and unfortunately I got to bail. Sorry guys, this could go on forever. I wish it could go on more, but we'll get you guys back on the show. But before we go for a cut. I'd like to give it an opportunity for you guys to give some shout outs to some homies, heroes, mentors, take it away, man.
2: Oh man. I'll go last. <laughs> oh uh, uh, here we go. Half of mine are dead. Unfortunately. Um, uh, first captain Frank Esposito roommate, um, Charles Morton, uh, shoot on my squad burnt with them. <sighs> Shoot all the, uh, and Harris. And the list is probably it's so long, man. I need to get them all tattooed so I can remember them. But uh, probably the person that gave me a shot at the at first, besides Frank, was um, my first superintendent, P. Coy. Just kind of looked at me and said, Well, he's a veteran and it probably won't be that bad. Um, and I really appreciated that. Okay. Amen.
1: Uh first, I just I just want to give a shout out to my my wife for dealing with me uh being a hot shot basically since we've started dating. So um she kind of held the home front down for over a decade while I was gone. And then all my previous supervisors, Jake Livingston, uh, Chris Demers, learned some great things from you guys, like all the overhead on the suns, the crew members I worked with over the years on the suns and and people I led on Ruby. It's like, I just, I, I appreciate everyone. And it, it's been a, it's been a good ride. I'm taking a new trajectory right now. We'll see how that goes, but um, I just, I appreciate everyone. So. Fuck okay, it man.
4: Yeah, for me, it'd be for my family, you know, if you don't have that support, can't do this. And then all the alumni, you know, that were on Ruby, you know, everyone probably still wants to be here. And then for Maine is here sitting next to me. Passing the torch, man. Passing the torch, but yeah, I wish I could have worked for him a little bit longer, but it is what it is. And by far one of my favorite supervisors.
1: You're never fully ready to be a hotshot soup. How much did he pay you to say that?
4: <laughs>
3: my wife's going to kill me. Uh-oh. So I'll close it out real quick. I, I just, you know, probably my first soup uh, gave me the opportunity. I felt like I was kind of a fuck up in my life and, and trying to navigate, uh, you know, definitely the family aspect that I didn't really, you know, value as much as I should have. And then uh shoot, I'd say everybody that uh, put up with me for my first years as a soup. You know, let me practice leadership and figuring out what wasn't working and what we we're trying to do better and and just watching that legacy spread and, and all the badass shit they're doing now.
0: Fucking okay. A. Well, gentlemen, thank you for so much for your insight and your professional knowledge here. It definitely uh, is a cool little insight to how crews operate and like the culture behind it. Cause yeah, like I said, a lot of uh, misconceptions out there. So hopefully we can get you back on the show a little bit later and uh, we'll do maybe, hopefully we'll do round two. I don't know if everybody's got time, but we'll try and figure it out. Sounds
3: good. Chase has time. I have time. I don't know about these two. big.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Copy that guys. Thanks for listening. Ready break. And boom, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with the Nevada State Bureau of Land Management crews. Yeah. So I just want to uh, say thank you for being on the show. I know uh, a lot of crews, especially Hot Shots, uh, well, pretty much any crew, they don't like being you know, on in the spotlight, I guess. Whether that's like if media shows up to uh, an incident or if they have to sit down and do an interview, all I want to say is... Thank you. Uh, I definitely appreciate you uh, you fine folks getting on the show and uh, sharing your subject matter expertise and your professional insight and knowledge as to crews, how they operate, some stuff on the horizon, the old school versus new school, and all of the other stuff that we discussed. JP, Justin, Chris, Chase, dudes, thank you so very, very, very much for being on the show. Uh, Yeah, that was epic. So thank you once again. Hope everybody got some uh, tasty little tidbits out of this show. Just to uh, clarify, we uh, are going to be doing a couple more episodes with the uh, Nevada State Bureau of Land Management, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was uh, recorded. There was over like fourteen episodes, or fourteen hours of content. Yeah, it was a lot. But anyways, I just want to give a special little shout out to the uh, state of Nevada Bureau of Land Management for making this thing all happen. And a special shout out to my buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement for uh, basically carrying my ass through uh, a presentation that we had to give. You crushed it, dude. Thanks. Sorry, I'm heavy. (laughs) As for the rest of you, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. And uh, yeah, up next is going to be a couple of other guests, uh, including aviation, my boy Walker and my buddy Paul, who's going to do a nutrition Uh, episode it's pretty epic so special shout out to our sponsors we've got mystery ranch if you want to uh, apply for the mystery ranch backbone scholarship well tiktok pitter patter may 31st is the ending date for your deadline there so if you want to submit your story go over to www.mysteryranch.com and start telling your story yeah, you might have a chance to win one of those thousand dollar professional workforce development grants. It's pretty awesome. We've got Hotshot Brewery kick ass coffee for a kick ass cause. And a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Go to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out their full line of coffee and coffee making stuff. It's awesome. And of course, we have the ass movement, the finest purveyors of poo bearing propaganda. My buddy Boo's over there. Once again, another shout out. He is killing it. And if you want to save 10% off your entire order at www.thefirewild.com slash the ass movement, well, use the code anchorpointass10 at checkout. It's awesome. And last but not least, we have the Smoky Generation, aka the American Wildfire Experience. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. Go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Y'all know the drill. Hope you enjoyed the show, but stay safe, stay savage, peace.